Well, good morning, New Hope. Glad that you're here this morning and you're safe coming in. Uh, followed sort of an ambulance on the way here and that stuff, so it's a little dicey out there, so be safe heading home. And if you're at home listening to the live stream, welcome as well as we continue in our series called Overcoming. Now, today, if you have been doing the Daniel fast, which is coupled with this series on overcoming, today is the last day of the fast. Typically, after the service that we go to, we break the fast and we're done. So congratulations to any of you who have been involved with the fast, either giving up rich food or caffeine, or maybe it's Netflix or social media or whatever, and leaning more into God, desiring God to hear your prayer in a greater way to overcome a particular area of your life. And I just want you to know that the staff has been praying for you and and will continue to pray that God will show up and reveal himself in specific, special ways as you desire to overcome different areas of your life that have overcome you. But we invite you to continue to lean into God, be in his word, be in prayer, be among his people in worship and call upon his name. And we will pray that those areas will be broke, talked about overcome, uh, broke through and overcome. When we started this series, we talked about overcoming negativity in 2019. And that for a people, we wanted to live as more positive people. That when we roll out of bed during our week, we wanted to approach life circumstances in a positive way. The second week, we looked at overcoming anxiety and fear. The third week, overcoming unforgiveness. It was a big week for many of us as we gave it up, right? And last week, Pastor John talked about overcoming self-doubt. Today, I want to talk about an area that we all wrestle with as well and an area that can overtake us but that we want to overcome. So Monday night, I got home about 8 o'clock at night and walked in the door, and I relieved my wife, who was under our kitchen sink, trying to unthaw our frozen pipes. And so for the next couple hours, I was working the pipes, and I, you know, we were getting the drip from 35 seconds, and then I was timing it well, it was down to 27 seconds, and then 20 seconds, you know, I was like, it's getting closer, it's getting, you know, to, 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 you know, getting unthawed and all that, but it was a good couple hours under the kitchen sink and that, and I was grumbling, and I was like, you gotta be kidding me, water, and my wife and daughter were downstairs in the family room, and I think they were like, hey, I'm not going up there, you know, you, and that, and I was, you know, complaining, arguing, you know, uh, anger, you know, at these pipes and stuff, and before we were going to bed after the, the pipes were thawed and that, my wife just turned over and he said, you know, well, what are you speaking on this Sunday, honey, and that, and I'm like, overcoming anger, you know, so we just sort of laughed at each other, you know, just like, oh, so, so how God's timing is great, right? You know, and how he works that out. But let me ask you a question. Who in here enjoys being angry? I mean, who in here, okay, one, one honest person. I mean, really, I mean, anger doesn't make our top 10 list. It's not like on our bucket list, like, ooh, I can't wait to be angry today. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, I got anger planned for my Wednesday. You know, I mean, we just... It's not something we're excited about, right? It's not something we really feel good about. Maggie Skarg, a writer for the New York Times Magazine, says this, getting angry can sometimes be like leaping into a wonderfully responsive sports car, gunning the motor, taking off at high speed, and then discovering the brakes are out of order. You know, we start with a little anger in that we think it's justified that it's good that we're angry in this situation, then all of a sudden it revs up from zero to 60, and we realize what? We are just out of control with our anger. 
in the book of James, in the new part of the Bible, the New Testament, he says, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. You know, in our anger, we know how our words can spark an inferno, right? That just grows and grows and grows. You know, in reality, anger is a normal emotion. It's a normal emotion. Matter of fact, I researched it because I was curious. Do babies get angry? They do. Hey, if you got a baby, you know. You know, they're angry. You know, sometimes you're like, oh, do they need something? But sometimes they're just not happy with you. I mean, that's what research says. That anger shows up in our life right away at a young age, at the baby age. It's part of our emotions, okay? It's where it is. So this morning, I'm going to say all kinds of ideas or it's going to wrap it up for you in an anger here this morning. Now, I don't have this like just easy answer that's going to wrap it up for you in this nice little bow, right? And that, hey, I'll be able to overcome anger, no big deal, right? But what I want you to do is think more about your anger, and I want you to think longer about it or deeper about it. And maybe after you're uh, done here and you're out making lunch or going out to lunch and that, with people around you, you can discuss this topic of anger. And then hopefully you can keep from getting angry, though, too. So, I mean, that, you know, but talk about it, right? So two verses that we're going to focus on in Scripture, in the Bible, is first of all, Ephesians 4, 26, 27, and then James 1, 19 and 20. Ephesians 4, 26, 27 says this. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Okay? So Paul has this caution implanted right in the middle of Ephesians chapter 4, his letter to the church of Ephesus, right in the middle of his instruction of how we are supposed to live as Christ followers. He says earlier, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And so Paul's saying, hey, there should be a shift in our lives because we are now following the Christ and we are becoming more like him. And so our anger is supposed to subside and become less and our righteousness is to grow. So how do we overcome anger then? Well, let's start first with understanding anger. So if you have your outline, A, I have an overview of anger. And number one under there says understanding anger. You know, we often think that anger is just this explosion of words. But anger really has three faces. The first face, A, Maybe this explosion of words, right? Where you know it's obvious someone is angry because their words are flying and they are getting raised in their temper. So it's obvious. But some people in the room have this face of anger that is B, right? That you just stew or you brew or you are silent in your anger, right? You don't blow up and use words. You're just, don't talk to anybody in the house. You're quiet, You know, I always knew when my dad was angry, he used words. Uh, I always sort of knew when my father-in-law was angry, he didn't use words. He was quiet. You could just tell something's up, right? And you know what that's like. 
You know, sometimes spouses, uh, guys, and like we're in the zone driving in that, and we're real quiet and stuff. Sometimes our spouses uh, mix up quietness for anger or something bothering us. And sometimes our spouse will say, hey, is something wrong? No, nothing's wrong. Well, you're not talking to me. Well, no, I'm just, you know, sort of in the zone and that. Yeah, but you're silent. Yeah, but nothing's wrong. Are you sure nothing's wrong? No, nothing's wrong. You know, and you get it, and then all of a sudden, you're just like, nothing's wrong, all right? You know how that, that gets you, these guys get in the zone, you know, that kind of thing. So some of us, it's just explosive, blowing up. Some of us, it's just this stewing, brewing. But the third face, the C face of anger is this irritability or you're annoyed, Right? You just, you know, you're saying little side comments about things, you know, hey, that fork is off a little bit on the table. You know, she's, bread's a little hard. You know, whatever, I mean, whatever it might be. Hey, you're a little late, aren't you? Or they like, oh, gee. Or, or they can hear it under your breath. Sometimes you're like grunting a lot or like, <sighs> you know, and like, all right, somebody's not happy, right? We, we get this irritability, we're annoyed, okay? Now, if you don't know which one you are, A, B, or C, just ask people that are around you enough. They'll tell you, oh, you're definitely B, or you're C, right? Just ask them. That's why in Ephesians 4, 26a, the first part, Paul says, in your anger. Paul acknowledges we will deal with anger. He's quoting from Psalm 4, 4, where it says, be angry and do not sin. I mean, why would Paul acknowledge our anger or that it's okay to be angry? And then he writes just a few verses after this, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. (laughs) And I'm thinking like, Paul, which one is it? Can I be angry or not? What is it? Hey, you know, sort of making me angry. (laughs) But what Paul is getting at here is this. There are two kinds of anger. There's anger, period, but then anger that is coupled sin. It's like temptation. To be tempted isn't a sin, but to follow that temptation and to fall into it is a sin. To be angry isn't a sin, but to take your anger out on the individual instead of the incident is the sin. Okay, so let's move to number two, under understanding anger. Let's look at understanding sinful anger. And I broke this into two categories, which I call A and B, anger that is from heaven and anger that is from hell, okay? So anger that is from heaven is an anger that is produced because of the sin, not the person. It's a righteous anger. Our anger is in response to a sin, to a wrong that, just, that we just get burned about, okay? If we look in the Gospels, the stories of Jesus, he dealt with anger. Jesus' anger was produced out of a response of seeing wrong and desiring what was right because he was holy, he was righteous. And he burned when he saw things that were wrong because he loved right so much, so much. We see in Mark chapter three that he's in the synagogue and he's going to speak. There's a man in the front row with a shriveled hand and the religious leaders are wondering what Jesus is gonna do. Is he gonna heal this man on the Sabbath, which is a sin because it's technically doing an act of work. 
And this is what it says. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked him, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. You see, it says that Jesus was distressed about their stubborn hearts, their sin, their hardness, that they could care less about this man. They had zero compassion for this man. All they wanted to do was try to trap Jesus in sin. We see that Jesus, when the little children were trying to come to him, that it says the disciples rebuked the children. But Jesus stopped the disciples and he stopped them and he, it says that he was indignant with them, which means annoyed. He was annoyed that they would show favoritism, not allowing children to come to him, not allowing anyone to just come to him. And they were showing this favoritism. And so he was disturbed about the sin, about the favoritism, not so much at the disciples, but at the sin. We read in Mark chapter 11, when Jesus goes in and he's turning over tables in the temple courts and he's chasing out the money changers. And man, he's angry. But his anger is not against the people per se. His anger is against their practice, their thinking that it's okay to set up shop in the temple and to rip people off who are traveling from miles and miles and miles away who needed a pure sacrifice. And they wouldn't travel with their goat or their lamb or whatever because if they're traveling, you know, 80 miles, good chance the animal may not live or it costs them too much to keep it alive and it's easier to just buy one once they get in town. But they would sell at exorbitant prices because they knew they had a market. And Jesus burned that their hearts would be like that. And it says that he taught them, hey, listen, my father's house is to be a house of prayer, not a den of thieves. And so it was this anger at the incident, not the individual, this righteous anger. I remember years and years ago, it was probably 10 years ago, there was no school because the weather was real bad. It was icy out and that roads were bad. They were saying, don't drive if you don't have to, all that stuff. And I had this idea, man, we're all home. The kids are off school. My wife works in the school. We're all home. And I said, hey, let's go to the MOA. I mean, hey, nobody's hardly going to be there and stuff. We got the whole day. We can hang out at the MOA. And my wife's like, you know, that's not a good thing. They said, don't drive. She says, oh, we have four-wheel drive. I mean, we just take it easy and that. And I was stubborn in heart and that. And we drove to the MOA and it was, it was like white knuckling. And all the way down, we're sliding through red lights and all that kind of stuff. And she was beside herself. She was so upset that I was so stubborn that we were going to go to the MOA regardless of the conditions and, and that and stuff. And it's just like, and she was furious at my decision, not so much me, but my decision that I would decide that. Well, this last Wednesday night, we had tickets to the Timberwolves game for the whole family. And that, to, you know, we were gonna drive down an hour and the other kids were coming in from the cities and all that kind of stuff. And Wednesday night at 10 o'clock when we'd be coming back, probably it was supposed to be 50 below with wind chill. 
you know, and she's like, I don't, I just don't feel it. I think it's not safe. You know, we're going to have our kids driving in. What if they're driving, something happens, they're stuck on the road and thing. And I'm thinking, oh, we got eight tickets, you know, the Timberwolves, you know, and that stuff. And, but then I remembered the MOA trip. And then I'm thinking, honey, you're right. You're worth one of our, you're right. And we ended up just staying home because I'm thinking it's not worth it. It's not worth one of our children or us being stuck on the road at 1030 at night somewhere with 50 below zero and all that kind of stuff. We watched them at home in that. I mean, it was a great game. Overtime and that, and Towns won it in the last second with a shot. I mean, I'm thinking, we could have been there. You know, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, we were happy to be home by the fire, believe me. So, but that whole idea of this righteous anger, of the, the incident and the heart, right? So this, this anger from heaven, but what about this opposite, this anger that is from hell? Now, most of us in the room would say that, hey, you know, I can hold that to a righteous anger. Just I'm upset about the incident and I'm not gonna take it out on the individual or attack them or, or whatever. But our anger may start with the desire for right. But if we are honest, it gets messy. It gets mixed with our self-centeredness and ends up with selfish anger. So that's why we have this caution from Paul in Ephesians Verse 26b and 27, he says, in your anger, do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He gives us this caution, or he says, hey, there's danger ahead if you don't be careful. I mean, what's the main part of the word of danger? You drop the D, it's anger, right? Our anger can easily move from incident, from the incident, to the individual, let me try to give you a little picture of this. Do you know who I get angry at the most? It's the people I live with. It's typically the people I live with, and I think it's probably true for you as well. Why is that? I sat down and was like, why is that? I think it's because our, my expectations are so much higher for them than, honestly, for you. <laughs> I mean, they're my expectations of how they should live or how they should react or, or what they should do or whatever, that kind of stuff, because we're family or whatever, and I have these these off expectations or whatever. Or sometimes I try to be in control of everything that's going on or their decisions or them or whatever, honestly. You know, sometimes whether we realize it or not, when we walk through the threshold of our home, you know, we put on sort of this garment of, you know, okay, now please me. I'm home, please me, right? And we have these expectations, right? And it all revolves around us or whatever, even though we don't always think that way, but sometimes naturally we can take that on, right? Sometimes I don't think even that we are as concerned of what our family thinks of us, you know, than other people outside our family. You know, well, I don't want to become angry out there, and then what will they think of me? But in our family, we're probably a little more apt to let her loose sometimes, right? Because it's our family, and we think that, hey, our family's going to cut us some slack. They get us. They're going to cut us slack. It's going to be okay, you know, regardless, whatever. It's sort of this picture of, you know, like I have with our little mini dachshund. You know, every time I come home and that, the thing goes ballistic. <laughs> it runs around the house and runs up to me. <laughs> me you know, all that stuff. And I think, hey, sometimes the family will just be like that. You know, even if I get angry or whatever. I mean, I can forget to feed the dog or put water in the dish or like, man, I didn't come home for 10 hours and that. And it's like, gotta go out, you know. And I'll, But I get home and the dog's like, <laughs> and I think that family's just gonna be like that sometimes. They're not. So it's just, uh, no, no, I mean, it's just. But the other thing, too, when it comes to our anger is that 
We show up after a day of accumulation of all kinds of stuff, and then we walk into our house. We show up with an accumulation of fears, insecurities, frustrations, hurt, pride, failures, feelings of disrespected during the day, whatever it might be, and then we show up at our house. I have this saying, it says, anger elsewhere follows us home. Anger elsewhere follows us home. It's like the iceberg, right? Our family at times might get the 10% of our anger, but it's been accumulating all day long, the 90%, because of all kinds of stuff going on, and it follows us home. And I think sometimes it's the proverbial last straw that broke the camel's back. I mean, it was really nothing they did. It was just everything that took place before I got there. We were at Mary Poppins at the high school theater there. Great show. You should go. Awesome. And that. But George Banks uh, is put on probation from his job at the bank. And that. When he gets home, his kids are dancing and singing in the living room. And that. And he comes in and he says, what's with you kids? Why don't you just be quiet? Why don't you shape up? Why don't you guys just behave? And all that. And he just lets them have it and stuff. It was nothing about the kids. It was all about what happened at the bank, right? So we accumulate this and anger elsewhere follows us home. So here's our challenge. Our challenge is trying to figure out the tipping point between anger that is from heaven, that's pointed at an incident, and when it tips over to anger that is from hell, when we start going after the individual. A person who is angry on the right grounds against the right persons in the right manner at the right moment and for the right length of time is our goal. But who, who can be there, right? I'm just like, are you serious? But that is the goal. We at least want to at least be moving towards that in our handling of anger in our lives on a day-to-day basis or week-to-week, it depends. So how do we get there? How do we start to have movement towards overcoming anger? Well, James gives us this formula in James chapter 1, verse 19, he says this, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. He's saying, hey, write this down, put it over your sofa, you know, put it in your car, you know, as a reminder on your rearview mirror, wherever, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. You see, there's this balance between anger from heaven and anger from hell. You know, honestly, this was, was and is my theme verse, uh, raising four girls. My theme verse of raising four girls was James 1.19. And because I found it, at times, difficult to figure out the female mind of you know, little girls to teenagers or whatever. And probably the biggest area I struggled with was their fighting over clothes. Fighting over clothes just in the morning. I get that, I'm wearing that. No, you wore that, I'm wearing that. Well, that's mine. And some, I'd just walk in and I'd grab a garment and I'm just like, look at, it's just cotton. It's just cotton. So what's it? And they're like, dad, you don't understand. You know, and, it's, and eventually I just realized, you know what? James 119, I'm not even going down the hall. I'm just staying out of it. I'm just going to just continue to eat my Fruit Loops and just stay put. If there's blood or there, whatever, you know, just stay out of it. James 119, 119, quick to listen, slow to speak, whatever. You know, just practice it. Practice it. 
You see, this whole idea of, you know, what do we need to do to overcome anger? Paul gives us this formula. Number one, be quick to listen. He said, do this first. Beat the other person to listening. How often do we that? I mean, we beat them to saying, right? He says, no, beat them to listening. Be the first one to listen. So listening formula for anger is this. Listen to the other person's story. Secondly, listen to the other person's story first. And then thirdly, listen to the other person's full story first. Full story first. He says that, Proverbs 12, 16. A fool is quick-tempered, but a wise person stays calm when insulted. So what complements then being quick to listen? Well, James goes on and he says it is to be slow to speak. Because if we're slow to speak, then we must be listening. Or if we're listening, then we aren't speaking, right? We will be slow to make excuses, slow to defend ourselves, slow to contradict, slow to give opinions, slow to attack. When we are slow to speak, we have kinder words. We have calmer words. We think before we say, we weigh our words. I know that in my life, the Holy Spirit that God has implanted all in all of us, who resides in us as our counselor, advocate, and all that, if things start revving up and I become angry or this or that, often the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, Bill, you don't want to say that word. Hey, Bill, you don't want to say that phrase. And then I find I'm wrestling, but it's a good phrase. You know, it's this wrestling, and sometimes I say it, sometimes I don't, right? Ben Franklin says this, whatever is begun in anger ends in shame. Ends in shame. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle word deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. They make them flare. So the formula is that, one, be quick to listen, two, slow to speak, equals three, slow to become angry. It equals three, slow to become angry. If we're listening, we're not, what is the opposite? We're going to be slower to anger. What is the opposite of anger? The Bible says it's patience. Patience is bearing the offenses and injuries of others. It's slow to avenge with punishment, it says. We see that in the definition of love in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians 13, the first part of the definition is this. Love is patient. It's patient. It's the opposite of anger. You know, there's times where I'm going into a situation that I'm passionate about or I find that, you know what, I might get a little revved up and my anger might start to flare a little bit or whatever. I'll, in reality, I'll write James 119 on my hand or on top of the paper or whatever it is, or I'll write QSS, which means quick, Q, quick to listen, S, slow to speak, S, slow to become angry. I'll do that. Now, you might be sitting in here and being thinking, man, This guy is like ready to explode all the time. I didn't know that. I mean, jeepers. I'm not. Actually, I'm not really this angry guy, you know, and that kind of deal. But I know it's in me. I know that it is in me because it's in all of us. In the spring of 1894, the Baltimore Orioles came to Boston to play a routine baseball game, but it was nothing but 
the opposite of routine. The Orioles' John McGraw got into a fight with the Boston third baseman. The fight carried into the players, which carried into the stands. And at some point, a fire was ignited, and it burned down the whole stadium. And following that, it burned 107 other buildings around it. All due to the start of two baseball players fighting over a baseball game. And it's a picture of how our anger can get out of control. And we've seen forest fires. So we've seen the picture of how just a little spark can ignite. And we all in the room here carry it. But God's word says that we can overcome it. That we can move towards being more like God and making sure that our anger is towards righteousness, the anger of evil, as opposed to towards the individual. And so this morning when you walked in, you received a candle. And in a moment, I'd like you to just come out of your seat to the right and come up to an open spot. And I want you to light that candle. I want you to pause And I want you to confess an area of anger in your life. Maybe it's anger just with your work situation. Maybe it's towards your spouse or child or neighbor, whatever. Maybe it's you. And I just want you to confess that anger. And then I want you to blow it out and throw it in the bowl and give it over to Jesus. And I want you to leave with that picture of blowing out our anger before it blows up our lives, takes over. Because God has created us to be overcomers in him. Let's pray. Father God, we can be angry people. And I pray that you would help us to be aware and intentional that we can overcome anger in you. So I pray that we would, as it starts, that we would remember the picture of just blowing it out before it gets ugly and moves past the anger of the incident and onto the individual. May we be overcomers in anger in your holy name.